And here we go. Another edition of Jamal About Sports on a Tuesday night, August 22nd, 2017. Coming to you from the downtown Brooklyn studios. That, of course, was Golden Earring with Twilight Zone. I believe uh, an apropos song to kick off our show this evening. Baseball to get to, NFL preseason. But we start, of course, with the Mets. Who, you know what? When I was thinking about this show last night, made my outline for it, Mets were hardly anywhere in this conversation. I'm sick and tired of talking about them. There's really not much to discuss at this point, or we didn't think there was. I'm sure you guys are sick and tired of hearing about them. It's the same stuff over and over again. But, of course, the Mets being the Mets, somehow managed to get themselves back on to the back pages of the tabloids for all the wrong reasons. And this time, it is the ridiculous and completely inept, bumbling, ridiculous, Clouseauian fashion that they have handled Stephen Max this year and his elbow injury. So, for those of you who may not be aware, Stephen Matz is a promising young left-handed pitcher for the Mets. He pitched very well for them two years ago. But he's had a myriad of injury issues ever since the Mets drafted him about five years ago. He's had Tommy John surgery. Um, he's had, uh, and this year specifically, uh, he had an elbow issue. But the Mets, great doctors and all their great tests, couldn't find anything wrong with his elbow. Um, but it's now been revealed, and of course, the complete Mets-like fashion last night, that at first, as Terry Collins, who, by the way, this is not his fault. This is, again, the Mets as an organization, completely inept, trotting their manager out there to have to field questions from the media as to what's going on with Stephen Matz. So Collins' first answer was that, well, it's not an injury. If he had to pitch tomorrow, he could. Okay, well, let's see, uh, Terry. Why wouldn't he pitch then if he could? The season is going nowhere. He's been wretched in his last, whatever, 10 starts. Can't even get through five innings. Giving up, you know, he has like a 10 ERA. He's been a complete disaster. Very unmatch-like. And so, why wouldn't he pitch? The season's over anyway. And if he wasn't injured, there's no reason for him to not pitch. You'd like to see him get back on track and finish the season strong. So hopefully you have a little bit of an idea of what you have going into next season. So that that's number one. Idiotic statement. Then the Mets, of course, a few hours later, announced that he's going to have surgery to reposition an irritated ulnar nerve in his pitching elbow, which is exactly what Jacob deGrom had last year. So the injury should not be devastating because Jacob deGrom has come back very nicely off of that injury that he had last year and that procedure. But uh, Newsday and David Lennon, the reporter, uh, went a little bit deeper. And according to a source, Matt's consented to multiple, over the course of the season, has consented to multiple pain-killing injections, occasionally on game days, ostensibly when he's pitching, to quell the pain that came along with an elbow that at times swelled to the size of a grapefruit. The pain came and went, though the elbow bothered him mostly between starts. One source described a belief by some in the organization that Matt was simply learning to get over the mental hurdle, 
quote-unquote, of pitching through pain. And indeed, injury has been a constant theme throughout his career. Okay, we get that. But, I mean, are you kidding me? Again, the Mets get it wrong. Again. And, you know, Sandy Alderson alluded to this earlier in the season that he, you know, he somehow needs to just tough this out because, again, they're tested and show anything. And, of course, Mats today said, well, it's a relief to at least know now what it is, that it's this ulnar nerve situation. It needs to be taken out of one part of his arm, I guess put into a different part of his arm. And, again, Jacob deGrom had the same thing. But, again, it just, I mean, can the Mets, if this was, if this was a one-off, it wouldn't be that big a deal. But, again, it's just another in the long line of missteps by this organization when it comes to injuries. No other team in any sport, I mean baseball for sure, but any other sport, is this inept. When it comes to diagnosing injuries and then coming up with a proper course of action and or treatment to deal with those injuries. Have you ever seen a team in your life this incompetent? Again, all this was supposed to go away when the great Sandy Alderson showed up. The sage Sandy Alderson. This is an embarrassment. And of course, as always is the case, the biggest problem here are the owners. And that would be Fred and Jeffy Boy Wilpon. Because they let this nonsense go on every year. It happened under Omar for however many years he was the GM here. What was he here for? 03 to. or 04 to whenever Alderson took over? 9, 10. And it's happened now under Alderson. So. Jeff and Fred Wilpon, at what point do you become so enraged and or embarrassed that you say enough's enough? I mean, I get it. Sandy Olsen did everybody a huge favor by coming out of retirement to take over the mess that was the Mets because of the whole Madoff scandal. He did us all a big favor and the millions of dollars that he gets paid to do it, by the way. And the most overpaid Assistance of Paul De Podesta before he went to go somehow be part of the Browns front office and J.P. Ricciardi, two former GMs of other teams. I mean, no one can figure this out. Still, and I know the Mets will sure will bristle at this. It's interesting, as this was blowing up all over Twitter earlier today. Then I went on my Twitter feed, and of course, what do I see? Oh, it's a Q&A session with Brandon Nimmo. Yeah, let's throw out a 24-year-old rookie to the dogs to try to distract from yet another embarrassing story about how the Mets have completely mishandled and mismanaged an injury situation and look like a bunch of dopes. Again, as usual. I mean, it's ridiculous. But, of course, the Wilpons don't care. We haven't heard a peep from them all season. Remember, this is supposed to be a good team this year. It's been a bad team pretty much the whole season. Yes, they've had six of their pitchers go on the DL. 
And we've talked about it, though, ad nauseum. It's not always necessarily about the injuries, but how the team handles it. And I'm not going to rehash all the missteps the Mets have made, because I've talked about it probably 19 different times on various shows. So I won't bore you with that, because I'm sure you've all heard it. But seriously, at what point did the Wilpons say, hey, Sandy, what the hell is going on? And frankly, to me, this should be the last straw. Sandy, get out and take the rest of your staff with you. And I don't say this lightly because I don't think it's, you know, these are guys' livelihoods. Okay, although Sandy Olsen's made plenty of money in his life and he's 70 years old and he's getting near the end of his career anyway. But, you know, the younger guys like J.P. Ricciardi and uh, John Ricco, okay. But, you know what, those guys will land on their feet too, I'm sure. You know, J.P. Ricciardi could go work for MLB Network. Rick will probably go get a job at another organization. He's highly thought of throughout Major League Baseball. And he's managed to keep himself the stink of the Mets and aptitude off of him for the most part so far. And by the way, if I were him, I don't know that I'd even want this job. Because that's the, the rumor is that Alderson's going to come back, but he's going to be just the president. And John Ricco's going to get elevated and get the GM title. Uh, do you want to stay in this organization? I don't, I don't know if I would. He's a, right now, he's in a perfect position. He gets to operate, operate behind the scenes. He speaks here and there to the media, but he's never gotten, he's never borne the brunt of any criticism from the media or the fans yet. When you get that GM title attached to you, it's a whole different ballgame. And if you have to start dealing with the media more and more, which you would think is the GM he would, it's a whole different ballgame. I mean, what is, Sandy Alderson, by any measure, has had a ridiculously bad year this year. He's gotten nothing back for any of the players that he traded. He waited too long to trade every, everybody. Managed to drive up zero demand. And I don't want to hear this nonsense that, oh, that there was no demand for Jay Bruce because nobody wants position players. Really? Yeah, nobody wants a, a, a 30 home run hitter who's having a very good year for the Mets, who's a, known as a good clubhouse guy. And a guy who could DH, play first base, and play the outfield. Yeah, nobody wanted that guy. I know. Well, nobody... It's, it's interesting. Nobody wants him if you don't ask anybody if they want him. If you don't ever work the phones. And it's interesting. Look at all the guys that the Mets have traded. Bruce has been killing it for the Indians. Now, he was having a good year for the Mets anyway. And he's a good player. But he's killing it. Guess, gee, it's amazing how you go from a joke of an organization and a moribund, head-hung-low, losing atmosphere like the Mets and go to the Indians, who are a well-run organization and who are winning, and all of a sudden your play picks up. Curtis Granderson, who was, by the way, an absolute pleasure as a person while he was here with the Mets, gave him a really good year two years ago. Last year was pretty bad for most of the year, had a good good finish, and this year pretty much the same thing. Got off to a horrendous start. Hit a grand slam. Has had two home runs already for the Dodgers since he got traded on Saturday night. Hit a grand slam yesterday. It's amazing. You go from a terrible team to a good team. A little pep in the step, huh? A little bit extra energy. Neil Walker couldn't buy a hit for the Mets when he came off the DL. I think he's like 9 for 20 since he got traded to the Brewers. Because they're in contention. Neil Walker looked like he had zero left in the tank when he came off the DL for the Mets. Now listen, maybe it's just a question of timing, but if you don't think these guys get a little extra incentive 
and a little bit more pumped up to go play on a team that's contending? I mean, absolutely. So Alderson waited two, uh, didn't get, got three relievers back for Addison Reed. One, one might be able to pitch in the majors next year. One. Yankees got, and I'm not saying Addison Reed is as good as Harold as Chapman. The Yankee, the Cubs, sorry, the Yankees got a king's ransom for Chapman last year. The Mets got basically three Palookas. One of whom might be an okay reliever next year. The other two guys way far away. Then they traded Jay. We talked about the Jay Bruce fiasco. That was an embarrassment. An embarrassment. Total money dump. Got nothing in return. 24-year-old single-A pitcher who just started pitching a year ago. Granderson, they got back another relief pitcher from the Dodgers. 24 years old. The one guy made looks a little promising is Drew Smith, the guy they got for Lucas Duda. Double A, had an outing the other day, two and two-thirds, struck out seven guys, didn't allow a hit or a walk. But, I mean, by any measure, Sandy Olsen's had a wretched year. He had a terrible offseason, didn't address the bullpen again, as usual. Four years in a row now, where during the offseason, he's done nothing to improve the bullpen. His big his great idea was to bring back Fernando Salas who then Terry Collins ran into the ground in the month of April and was never able to recover, and the Mets released finally a couple weeks ago, which they waited too late to do that too. Bring back Jerry Blevins. That was it. That was basically that those were Sandy's big moves offseason. Signed Walker to the qualifying offer. Didn't move Jay Bruce in the offseason when you probably could have gotten something better for him. I mean, where's the creativity? Where's the imagination? There is none. His big move last week was to sign Travis Snyder to AAA. Another guy with zero tools, another lumbering, unathletic player. Sandy's favorite kind of guy. And now, as an overreaction to the rash of injuries to starting pitching this year. Now what we hear from Samuel Alderson is, well, next year, we, you know, we're going to hope to get five innings out of our relief pitchers, I mean, out of our starting pitchers, and have a good bullpen. So, okay, let's succumb to stupid groupthink and the herd mentality. I mean, listen, that's a great plan to have pitchers that go five or six innings if you have the Yankees' bullpen or the Indians' bullpen or even the Cubs' who have a great closer, some of their setup guys are a little iffy. But they have enough of them that they can patch it together. But the Mets don't have that. Right now, for next year, the only givens are A.J. Ramos, who's an okay closer, and Jerry Blevins, who's a nice mix-and-match guy, probably seventh-inning guy. That's it. Now, if you're going to tell me Familia's going to come back and be great, Okay, you've gotten a little bit better, but you're still not anywhere near on par as those other teams I mentioned. And, again, we're going to completely overreact now? I mean, some of this stuff is a fluke. I don't think you're going to have six starting pitchers all get hurt again next year. And one of them was Gesellman, who hurt his hamstring. And, by the way, he was certainly no short thing anyway and was, and was pitching very poorly when he got hurt. So that wasn't an arm issue. 
And I'm all for not overly depending on fragile starting pitching. But then go get some good starting pitchers, or at least one, which we talked about last week. A guy that can give you 200 innings who's not necessarily going to be an ace, but is like a third or a fourth starter. We're not going to have to break the bank, but you're going to have to pay $10, $12 million a year. So I'm sorry. It's time for Sandy to go. He's been here five years. Yes, the Mets made the World Series in one of those years when every single thing went right for them that year. We've been over it. They were a 500 team for most of that year. He got lucky and got Cespedes because remember he won Carlos Gomez first. That was his first choice was Carlos Gomez. And then he got Cespedes literally at the, 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 the 11th hour before the trade deadline, and he carried the Mets into the playoffs. And then Murphy offensively carried him into the World Series. And DeGrom and Syndergaard and Harvey and Matt all pitched pretty well in the playoffs. But that's it. I mean, yes, they get, give him credit for making the World Series, but again, you can't look at these things in a vacuum. You have to look at the entirety of of the situation. And for the majority of that season, the Mets were a 500 team. Now, remember, they were well under 500 the three years prior to that. And everybody gave Sandy a pass because the Mets didn't want to spend any money. Okay. That's fine. Also gave Terry Collins a pass for never having a team that ever played fundamental baseball because somehow, 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 that is... Uh, equates to talent, which it doesn't. She had nothing. One has nothing to do with the other. But since he's never demanded accountability from his players ever, you watch the way the Mets play. It's it's a disgrace. The base running, the fielding. I mean, the whole thing. It's awful, awful brand of baseball to watch. But when you get really good starting pitching and you have a great closer and a slugger who's on a hot streak, you can mask a lot of your shortcomings. But it's not a formula for long-term success as we've seen. And again, last year, okay, great. They quote-unquote made the playoffs. They didn't. They rode a tissue-paper-soft schedule down the stretch last year against primarily the Phillies and the Reds to eke out the last wild card and then lose the playing game to the Giants. That's not exactly a rousing success. And this year, of course, has been a complete and utter failure. But don't worry, Mets fans. David Wright's DHing at Port St. Lucie tonight so we can continue to let him hold the team hostage about what to do with the third base situation. Also, I mean, no other team is this inept, are they? I mean, David Wright, really? We're now we're keeping our fingers crossed for a guy who basically hasn't been relevant in six years. Hasn't played a full season in forever. But oh, he's going to DH at single A tonight. What a joke. I mean, again, it, it just it boggles the mind. It's the twilight zone. And I, for one, am sick of it. Unfortunately, the problem is that the owners aren't. And of course, you know, their silence is deafening. Not one word... One embarrassment after the next with the injury situation. 
no, no commitment to come out and say, hey, you know, we traded these guys away that are making money. Don't worry, Mets fans. We will reinvest this money next year. We will spend money. We're horribly embarrassed by what happened this year. We will make sure we get it fixed. Nothing. You don't hear a peep. And if you had owners who actually really cared, Sandy Alderson would be done. And his whole staff would be too. And you hit the reset button. And you go and you hire one of the best and brightest guys from one of the best and smartest organizations out there. Go get somebody from the Yankees, God forbid. Or the Tampa Bay, by the way, who manages to stay competitive every year on a shoestring budget. Or go get somebody out of the Dodgers organization. Teams that know how to identify talent. And if you want to try to do it on a shoestring budget, then go get somebody from a team who knows how to do that. Not Sandy Alderson and his completely outdated views on baseball where defense doesn't matter and it's all about, you know, strikeouts, walks, home runs, and power pitching. We've seen how well that's turned out. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. That, of course, was Greg Kinn in the breakup song. I think I need to break up with the Mets. They are bad for my health. You know, listen, I know I got a little bent out of shape there that last segment, but I, it's just so frustrating. I mean, it really is. And listen, I understand Sandy Alderson's a smart guy, and J.P. Ricciardi's probably a smart guy, and John Rico. I, I understand. I'm sure they don't want this stuff to happen. But, I mean, it's just, seriously, at what point do you say, what we're doing is clearly not working, let's figure out another way. You know? And and, and don't give me, we're going to look at this in the offseason. Why would you wait till then? Look at it now. All right, enough with that. We'll go around Major League Baseball real quickly and take a look at the standings, talk about some of the races. So... Red Sox-Yankees, same thing, back and forth. Red Sox took two out of three over the weekend from the Yankees. Yankees picked up a game, uh, half a game last night. Red Sox lost to the Indians. Yankees were off. Um, the Yankees and Red Sox play again, I believe, this weekend. Hold on. Don't quote me on that. Let's take a look here, shall we? They do not. They do not. I'm wrong. They play the Tigers for three in Detroit starting the night. Home for Seattle for three. And then they host Cleveland the following Monday. Um, listen, I've said it all year. I'm going to say it again. Red Sox are going to win that division. Uh, Yankees are going to make the wild card. It's that simple. And by the way, I believe uh, yours truly did say preseason that although everybody was branding this a rebuild for the Yankees because of the young players that I thought that they were uh, definitely 
had the ability to contend and would be a lot better than people thought. I hate to say I told you so. And listen, I'm wrong a million times. But sometimes I get it right, and I got it right with the Yankees. So we go to the Central. Again, said this months ago, thought the Indians were the class of that division. Jay Bruce trade has really helped them. Uh, he's done great since he's gotten there. They're now 69-54. and 54. I believe that's their high watermark for the year as far as games over 500. Uh, they've got a five-and-a-half game lead, six in the loss column over the Twins, who, to, the, to their credit, Twins are still hanging tough at 64-60. and 60. Uh, So they are really, you know, three games only behind the Yankees for that first wild card. Um, again, I just don't think the Twins have enough to get it done. By the way, kudos to Bartolo Colon. He, uh, he won a game for the Twins the other night. He's now beaten all 30 major league teams in his career. So kudos to, to, to Big Sexy. Uh, the Royals surprised me. You know, they ha- had it going there a little bit for a while. A couple of weeks ago, they've sort of fallen back now. Uh, five and five in the last ten. They're only one game over five hundred. Um, but again, you know, they're one hot streak away from getting back into the mix here. And then in the West, listen, the Astros are walking away with that division, but uh, they uh, hardly look like a good team uh, lately. Uh, lots of sloppiness. Five and five in the last ten, but they just did not look good. Um, and again, the Angels somehow put themselves in the mix. They that six-game winning streak. They're seven and three in their last ten. Three games over five hundred. So as it stands today, division winners would be the Red Sox, the Indians, and the Astros. Yankees would be the first wild card, and you would have the Twins would be your second wild card. So that's pretty interesting. And then you go over to the, uh, I mean, the Mariners are still technically alive at 64 and 62. I guess the Rangers, who have played well lately, are back to 500. They're still in the mix. Um, you know, again, I, I just, if I, I don't see it. I think actually between the Twins, the Royals, and the Angels, I think the Royals are the best of those three teams. And I could, I, I, right now, if I had to call it, I would say they would be the second wild card. That, that would be my prediction here on August 27th. Um, I, think they, I think they have the best lineup and they have the best pitching So, uh, of those three teams. I mean, I know the Angels have Trout, um, but I just, I just think the Royals are, are, are a better team, um, deeper team. Go over to the National League. The East, not even worth discussing, other than Giancarlo Stanton's 45 home runs for the Marlins. Uh, the Central... Boy, I mean, every as I said last, every time I think the Cubs are going to just run away with that thing, they fall back. Oh, they've won three in a row, and they're seven and three in the last ten. They got a four-game lead in the loss column over the Brewers. Uh, you know, Cubs pitching. We talked about that earlier in the year. Their pitching came around. Uh, you know, they should definitely take off. Uh, Lackey's been better. Um, Arietta's been better. Hendricks has been better. Uh, Lester just went on the DL. That bears watching. Um, but you know. The, the Cubs are—they're the best team in that division. Uh, but you give the Brewers credit, sixty-five and sixty-one, hanging in there. And the Cardinals have gotten back into the mix a little bit at sixty-three and sixty-one. Uh, so you know those teams are kind of bunched up. And then over in the West, the Dodgers—we've talked about. I mean, they're eighty-eight and thirty-five, eight and two again in their last ten. I mean, it's just what they're doing is is insane. I mean, it's, it could be uh, an historic year for the Dodgers. 
mean, they're 88 and 35. That's insane. Um, 51 and 14 at home. And a plus 216 run differential. And then you've got the Rockies and Diamondbacks, both of whom, and we talked about this last week, have started to show some cracks. And uh, the Rockies in particular, 3-7 in the last 10. The Diamondbacks are 4-6 in the last 10. And, you know, listen, they got, they got healthy, of course, against the Mets. Uh, or, or, you know, will we'll continue to get healthy, I should say, against the Mets. They won in, in 10 innings last night. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, the Mets are dead team walking, as we, as we pointed out. Um, playing with no life, no energy, no nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's interesting to see, though, the Brewers now at 65 and 61, I mean, they're, they're five games back in the lost column of the Rockies, four back in the lost column of the Diamondbacks. Uh, you know, the Rockies pitching is finally starting to, uh, to collapse a little bit. They were relying on a lot of rookies in that rotation. Uh, Diamondbacks have pitched pretty well. Granke's had a good year. Um, but, uh, you know, their bullpen is still shaky. I mean, Fernando Rodney, how long can he keep getting it done? I mean, he got the save last night against the Mets, but he did give up a home run. Uh, a lot of long at-bats. It kind of squeaked by there. And again, I mean, the Mets are, they're the panacea for, for every team right now. I mean, if you're, if you're a contending team, the team you want to face the most right now is the Mets for a couple of reasons, right? One, they're just bad. Two, a lot of young players and experienced, uh, probably trying too hard. Uh, and three, the vet, what few veterans remain on that team are you know, playing with no energy whatsoever. And their pitching is horrible. So, I mean, it's like the perfect storm. Perfect storm. A couple other interesting notes around Major League Baseball. There uh, was, I guess, an incident with Angel Hernandez, who's a, a, an umpire, a longtime uh, Major League umpire, where uh, I guess Ian Kinsler... Uh, criticized him publicly and Major League Baseball fined him $10,000 and the umpires union thought that he should have been suspended. Well, first of all, Ian Kinsler's right. Angel Hernandez is a wretched, wretched umpire. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's beyond me how he still has a job, frankly. Um, he has been a bad umpire for a really long time. I remember specifically 20 years ago, Series Mets-Braves, when the Mets and Braves used to have those good rivalries, when Piazza was on the Mets, and he had a series that was so bad, it was a game, actually, behind home plate, that he cost the Mets a game. I mean, you know, from giving Glavin, I think, started, you know, 17 inches, extra inches on, on pitches out of the strike zone to, you know, blowing a couple of plays at home plate that hurt, hey, he was awful, just awful. Um, and, you know, he's another one of these guys with an attitude, right? The second you, you question a call, he gets, you know, he, he, he gets his, uh, you know, he gets all uh, defensive and combative. And it just, just seems just pretty much unpleasant all the way around. So uh, good for you and Kinsler. <laughs> I, I, I have no, no issues with him calling out Angel Hernandez there at all. Um, and uh, the other interesting thing was, uh, I guess, through Joe West, uh, another guy who, you know, thinks the game's about him. Um, people come to see him, you know, country Joe West, big country western singer, another guy who's been umpiring for at least 30 years from, from what I can gather, right? Um, I mean, I remember Joe West when I was, I think, a teenager uh, watching games. As a, as a, he started out, you know, before, before the umpires 
were um, now you know now umpires manage both leagues, but uh, and those, I mean manage they umpire games from both leagues. In the old days, you had a set of National League umpires and you had a set of American League umpires. That doesn't exist anymore. But Joe West, for years, was a National League umpire, so I used to see him do Mets games all the time. He's another guy, the second you question a call, it gets right in your face, uh, escalates the situation. Anyway, he made some joke about Adrian Beltre, and then he got, I think, suspended for a game or something. It was kind of, I thought it was kind of benign. Again, I think everybody's a little, a little overly sensitive these days, shall we say. Um, and, uh, and so I think because of that was also one of the reasons why the umpires were even more angry that Ian Kinsler didn't get suspended. But uh, Ian Kinsler happens to be 100% right. Angel Hernandez stinks. He's a bad umpire. All right. We will take another short break, and then we'll be back with some NFL right after this. Here on another edition of Jamal About Sports, coming back out of the break with Tongue Tied by Group Love. That would be my, my attempt to be uh, with it and hip. I, I think of that as a new song. Meanwhile, I believe it came out five years ago now already uh, in 2012. All right, we're back with some NFL preseason. I've been watching a lot of these games, uh, trying to get a handle on you know what players I think could have breakout seasons, who... Uh, of the rookies that are drafted may contribute right away. Um, and uh, so I've got a couple of those news and notes for you. Uh, but the first thing I want to start with is um, NFL Hard Knocks. And uh, it would appear... The NFL's desire, and or at the very least HBO's, and certainly the Tampa Bay Buccaneers themselves, because that's the team that they're focusing on, to try to make Jameis Winston now uh, one of the new faces of the NFL, the quarterback for Tampa Bay. Yes, indeed, the same Jameis Winston who escaped by the hair on his chinny-chin-chin a sexual assault charge while he was in college, among other various missteps, that off-the-field missteps that he had while in college. But now, because as they showed us on Hard Knocks, he gets to the facility at 5.58 every day. Gee, by the way, that's not contrived enough at all, is it? As they show the count, the clock that Tampa Bay has, because there's such stickler to details, the coaching staff and Dirk Cutter, and they've got their clock all the way down to the second and there's Jameis Winston getting there before 6 a.m. as it, the clock strikes 5.59 and 59 seconds. You know, a digital clock on the wall. And there he is doing his squats and working out because he's such a leader of men. Are you kidding me? There's more contriving J.J. Watt, that other media whore, that camera whore in front of the jugs machine two years ago. And by the way, oh, I don't know if you... Had, had you not heard J.J. Watt was a walk-on? Yeah, gee, thanks, J.J. I hadn't heard that. Thanks for sharing. Sorry, I digress. I mean, this... So, so Jameis Winston now is going to be the next face of the NFL because he had a pretty promising year last year, I guess, and he could play a little bit. And now he's got all kinds of weapons, 
with Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson and O.J. Howard and Dirk Cutter, the head coach, considered an offensive coach. So it's amazing. Jameis Winston could be the first pick, you know, first round pick, even though he probably sexually assaulted a girl while he was in college. Right, he stole the crab legs from a, a Publix or whatever. Okay, that's that could be considered a dumb college prank, not the end of the world. But had a couple other off the field missteps as well. Okay, that's all forgivable. But Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the national anthem, unforgivable. Nope, can't have that. One guy will try to make the face of the NFL somehow. Sound familiar? Certain linebacker for the Ravens that was embroiled in a murder 17 years ago, who then somehow became the face of the NFL and is now commenting on the NFL somehow, even though he's completely inarticulate. But so Colin Kaepernick, unforgivable, Jameis Winston, let's make him the face of the NFL. I mean, again, I watched the Jets, and I understand it's preseason. I watched them play against the Lions. I mean, are you kidding with what they're trotting out there, quarterback? Uh, the Colts, I also watched play the Lions in the preseason with Luckout. Scott Tolzien? Really? You're telling me Colin Kaepernick isn't better than Scott Tolzien? But no, there's no way that the Royd monster slash Twitter fiend Jim Irsay... Would, would, would sign Colin Kaepernick not in Indianapolis folks no even though their owner is a pill freak and a roid head that's fine but don't you dare kneel for the national anthem I mean this is the kind of stuff and listen I'll admit it I'm as bad as everybody else because there I am watching all these preseason games and here I am talking about the NFL but there are times where the hypocrisy is so stark and overwhelming that it really makes you wonder, how do I root for this league? And you try to block it out. I mean, that's the only thing you can do. I mean, I want to just focus on my Lions. And you know what? For the most part, they seem like a pretty good bunch of guys. Jim Caldwell is a nice man. Maybe not the greatest coach. By the way, better than I thought he would be. But, I mean, we're going to try to make Jameis Winston now the next face of the NFL, and Colin Kaepernick can't get a job as a backup? Hmm. In the immortal worlds, in the, in the immortal words of Al Michaels, hmm. So that's one storyline. The other is Blake Bortles. AG's guy having a horrendous preseason for Jacksonville to the point where his own teammates now are, are voicing their frustration, particularly his wide receiver, Allen Robinson. Uh, that looks like that will not end well. And it's funny. I remember talking about how I thought Ryan Nassib would be a name to look for to go to Jacksonville, guy that Tom Coughlin drafted when he was with the Giants and that Doug Marone, the new coach for Jacksonville, coach while at Syracuse well I saw him playing for the Saints in a preseason game the other day looked pretty good 
So I don't know if they would try to make a play to trade for him. Probably not this late in the game. I guess uh, Chad Henney is still the backup in Jacksonville. But, you know, look, Jacksonville thinks they're, they're a win-now team. They went out and spent a ton of dough in the offseason on defensive players. They've got Leonard Fournette as their draft, you know, their, their, their high draft pick. They've got some good receivers, Allen Robinson, Allen Hurd. Uh, you know, they think they're a good team. But if Blake Bortles is going to be terrible, then they're not going to be a good team, obviously. A couple names to look for. Tariq Cohen. Talked about him, I believe, in our draft wrap-up show. The, the diminutive running back from North Carolina Central, I believe, that the Bears took in a fifth round. Uh, watched them play against Denver. He, he's going to be, unfortunately, he, I have a feeling he's going to give the Lions and the rest of the league fits this year. He looks like Darren Sproles uh, 2.0. And that Adam Shaheen, that giant tight end that you know came from Division Two, that's barely been playing football, uh, he looks like he's going to be a problem, too, at the very least in the red zone. I mean, he's massive at 6'7", 270 or 80 pounds. He moves well. He has good soft hands. He's going to be a problem. Another name to watch out for, D'Angelo Henderson, running back from Coastal Carolina on Denver. Uh, Denver has long had a history of taking running backs late in the draft and guys being really good. Uh, I think he will be a good player. And then James Conner, one of my favorite players, running back out of pit, A, for his performance, but also the inspiring story of how uh, he beat cancer and, you know, got drafted by the Steelers. And with Le'Veon Bell sitting out, uh, you know, in hopes of getting a new contract extension, Conner's played a lot and he looked really good the other day in their game. Uh and then the last piece is, you know, Goodell looks like is headed for a five-year extension. And, I mean, no surprise there. You know, there's 13 to 14 billion reasons why he would be getting an extension from the owners. You know, uh, I mean, that's, he's there at the behest of the owners. He serves at the pleasure of the owners. And all those owners have gotten richer and richer every single year that he's been the commissioner. Um, so while, yes, there have been a lot of black eyes and embarrassments, particularly around domestic violence missteps, and finally it seems maybe they're getting it right. We talked about the Ezekiel Elliott thing last week. He has appealed the suspension, but all indications are it looks like that is going to be upheld. Um, and there's been a nasty war of words back and forth between the league and NFLPA on that subject. Um, but no surprise here. I mean, why, why wouldn't Goodell get it? If you were an owner, why wouldn't you give that guy another five years? I mean, listen, fans don't like him. He gets booed everywhere he goes. NFLPA doesn't seem to be very fond of him either. Um, you know. But, again, it's not up to them. He does exactly what the owners want him to do, which is make them money. And until that stops, he will continue to be the commissioner. Unless he decides after this next five-year contract that he wants to step down, which he might. But, you know, he's not an old man, so he very well could be the commissioner for the next ten years. By the way, if he, assuming that this five-year deal happens, which all indications are it will, that means he'll have been commissioner for, I believe, 17 years. It's a pretty good run. I'm not saying that he's been great, but... 
you know, 17 years in any job is a pretty good run. And 17 years at the head of the most uh, successful sports league in the world, certainly in this country anyway. I mean, again, you can say what you want about the NFL. Nobody knows how to market themselves better. Nobody knows how to make money better. I mean, they make money off things that they already make money off of. Hence, their broadcast rights. Hence, you know, streaming games on Amazon when they're already getting paid by the by you know DirecTV and the networks and everybody else for the right to broadcast the games, and then they get more money off of that that they're already getting paid by CBS, and then Amazon paid them what forty million dollars last year to be able to stream the games onto you know mobile devices. I mean, they're genius. They are genius, and I'm not saying it's all Goodell. It certainly isn't. They've got very smart business people working behind the scenes. They're making these deals, but he is the commissioner. Got to get some credit. And I don't know if you guys watched any of the Giants game last night uh, against the Browns, but, you know, a couple of interesting things there. Uh, And the Odell Beckham uh, went up, caught a pass, got hit low by safety uh, for the Browns. Of course, you know, acted like the total baby and diva that he is. Now, I understand, look, he got hurt, okay, and you get scared when you get hurt, and, and I understand that. But he just he acts like such a petulant child. He's so tough to take. I mean, there's a reason why he's on the impossible to root for all impossible to root for all stars, and he's probably the captain of that team. I mean, I don't know if you caught his act last night, but it was pretty tough to take. Now, if you're the Giants or Giants fan, I get it. You're annoyed. The guy went low, but what's he supposed to do? If he went high and hit him in the head and gave him a concussion, you'd be furious at him too. And, you know, I understand, and now Landon Collins is mouthing off, saying, oh, he had plenty of time, I'm a safety item. Uh, come on. I, I watched the play. They showed it in slow motion. Yeah, it looks that way. But again, what's the guy supposed to do? This is the big dilemma. You don't want guys going high. I get it. It's a penalty. First of all, it's a penalty. But also, it's dangerous to both the defensive player and the offensive player. Both guys can get concussions. And as we've seen now, you know, concussions, which used to be sort of sloughed off, is not a big deal getting your bell rung. Now we know it's a really big deal. It's a brain injury. So I understand that. I'm all for that. But what's the alternative? He went low. He happened to hit him on the knee and around the ankle area. That's going to happen. I mean, you're not always going to be able to hit a guy in the thigh pad or, you know, in the hip to waste area or just underneath, you know, the armpit. I mean, again, these guys are moving at high rates of speed. You're not always going to be able to size a guy up and hit him exactly where you want. You're just trying to get a guy down on the ground. You know, so there's Beckham. He's rolling around. He throws the ball like, you know, like a little baby. Then he gets up. He looks like he's fine. He walks off under his own power. Then he goes into the tunnel, and then all of a sudden he's down on both knees in the tunnel. And, of course, the camera follows him the whole time, too, which, by the way, I'm probably pretty sure he knew the camera was on him. You know, and then now he's down on both knees. It looks like somebody shot him. And now, look, good for the Giants, and it's good for the game. It looks like he's probably going to be okay. If I were the Giants, I wouldn't play him for one more snap for the rest of the preseason. I mean, do you really need to see what Odell Beckham Jr. can do? And I understand the Giants' offenses look terrible. And they haven't scored a touchdown. Whatever. You have Eli Manning. You, have, you know what these guys can do. 
All right, you want him to try to develop some chemistry with Evan Engram, their first-round draft pick, the tight end, that's fine. You know, you're going to play the offensive line. You want to see those guys try to gel a little bit. I get it. But Odell Beckham Jr. doesn't need to be playing in any more of these preseason games. You know, let Roger Lewis Jr. and some of the younger receivers get some reps and see who's going to win, you know, the fourth and fifth receiver battle for the Giants. No reason for Odell Beckham Jr. to be playing again. And I'll say this for the Browns. While their quarterback situation looks pretty abysmal, and I don't want to hear about Deshaun Kaiser had a good game two weeks ago, whatever. Uh, that defense looks like it might not be bad. They've got some decent players over there on that defense. All right, that's going to wrap up this week's show. We'll be back next week with some more NFL. Hopefully no more Mets. I mean, honestly, I really I really would love to not have to talk about the Mets anymore unless, again, it was something like major, like a front office shakeup. But unfortunately, that won't be happening. But as always, thanks for listening. Check me out on Twitter, at JamalAboutSport, no S at the end. Check me out on Facebook and also on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Peace out.